This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Geekscapists, welcome to our brand new Geekscape podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan London. And like I say every week, if this is your first Geekscape, strap yourselves in for some comic book talk, movies, video games, TV, everything that's fit to print under the pop culture umbrella. I went to a comic convention this past weekend, can't wait to tell you about that. Uh, kind of got me excited for seeing you all at San Diego Comic Con this summer. Maybe I will see you before then. Maybe I'll see you, maybe down in the in Orange County for WonderCon. That'd be cool. I submitted some panels if WonderCon accepts them. Maybe we'll have some cool panels. We had a blast at LA Comic Con. Y'all definitely benefited from that. Uh, some of those LA Comic Con panels are up on the feed right now in case you weren't there. Now, I enjoy the uh, LeVar Burton one. You know what's funny is I look at the feed and see, hey, what are the Geekscapers downloading? Like, what podcast are they downloading? The Amy Jo Johnson conversation with me from LA Comic-Con, you know, Power Ranger, original Pink Ranger, Amy Jo Johnson. Uh, that had like a spike when I posted it and then it tapered off. People started listening to other things. Christmas happened, the new year. And then in the past two weeks or so, I don't know who shared it. I don't know what Power Ranger fan group or whatever found it, but people started discovering the Amy Jo Johnson interview and it started picking up numbers. I was like, why even record a Geekscape, a new Geekscape at this point? Like people are still listening to the old ones, but we're here every week for you folks to bring you some pop culture goodness. Last week was fun. How much fun was Samba? I meant everything I said about loving our flag beans death. And I got to tell you, he did come to the Homeward Bound screening that we did on Saturday that we promoted on the show last week. Uh, that was fun. That was a blast. We had the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood almost at full capacity. I'll admit it right here. I know my friend Ben Stahl is in the film Homer Bound. I'd never seen it. What a BSRI turned out to be. I've never seen Homer Bound, and neither had Heidi. Oh, she said her sister had seen it, and Heidi had seen pieces of it, but I hadn't seen a lick of Homer Bound. I just knew it. But when Homer Bound hit theaters, uh, 1993, I believe, I was like 14 years old. I just wanted to watch like True Lies again and like action stuff or something nerdy. Uh, and it was for kids that were a little younger than me, but a ton of people in the 90s grew up with Homer Bound. And this theater was, I'm going to say raucous. The movie works. It was so much fun talking to the director, Dwayne, and uh jeffrey the producer who also worked on body heat and that was awesome i got to talk to him about ading body heat which is one of my favorite noir films um and of course you know who plays the dad in homeward bound robert hayes that striker from airplane so 
I'm sitting there uh, in the green room and okay. I glanced at the IMDb. I'd seen some of the emails going back and forth with the cast and crew about organizing the panel and all this. Really. I'm just like, okay, let's, let's clean out the questions. Let's figure this all out. I hadn't really put names to faces yet. And then in walks striker from airplane, Robert Hayes himself. And I love airplane. I think it's hilarious. And I got to spend the whole evening with Robert Hayes, which is cool. Um, I'll tell you this, Geekscapist. Benj is working on acquiring the audio, but uh, that's a Disney theater, Disney recording maybe. I don't know how the uh, T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, but if we can get the audio from the Homeward Bound uh, panel, is that something you guys would even be interested in? Most of the audience is younger than me, so maybe you grew up with Homeward Bound. Uh, Maybe I'll put it on the feed if I can acquire it. Uh, but th- I think that was fun. I had a blast. I had an absolute blast. And the movie's good. <laughs> I saw Homeward Bound for the first time, and it's it holds up. <laughs> I have no memory of it, but it holds up. And we had a blast. And uh, it was cool. And some ex-Geekscape guests were there, like Ben Begley and people like that. So it was really, really fun. Uh, I then, on Sunday, went to the Pasadena Comic Con. And I wasn't expecting a whole lot. No offense, but it's Pasadena Comic Con. It feels like a smaller convention. It's not San Diego. What a snob did I turn out to be? If it's not New York Comic Con or San Diego Comic Con or WonderCon or any of these major ones, if it's not Fan Expo, count me out. No, I think I'm going to tell you guys the same advice I give filmmakers who think about film festivals. Some of the smaller film festivals and some of the smaller conventions are where you can really develop some amazing relationships. If you're a creator, and I have a fantastic creator on the show Right now, uh, coming up, my buddy Craig Rasmussen, he's a comic indie comic creator. He does some amazing sci-fi comics. And that's where you develop the relationships. You're clearly not going to go to San Diego Comic-Con and meet Robert Downey Jr. I mean, you might. You might run into him. Uh, but chances are you're not. You will meet Craig Rasmussen. We will have some of these people signing at the Geekscape booth. A lot of you have met some amazing people at the Geekscape booth or at their booths. San Diego is great, but if you go to a place like Pasadena Comic Con or uh, there's a great one in like the Inland Empire here in California, I'm sure that there's tons of them near where you live. Some of these regional cons where you really can meet some amazing creators, they don't get the same exposure that the big wigs do. Uh, And the same thing goes for film festivals. You're an indie filmmaker and you have a short film. It's not always all about the Sundance. It's not always about getting into Tribeca, right? Or South by Southwest, which I think South by Southwest only accepts like under 100 short films. It's not a lot for a film festival its size. Uh, But I will tell you this. This guy right here, Jonathan London, back in the day, I had a short film play the Ojai Film Festival. And you may be like, Ojai Film Festival? Yeah, it's an affluent kind of town just north of Los Angeles, about an hour, hour and a half north of Los Angeles in Ojai. Beautiful, beautiful town. Not only did the movie play really well, my short film, uh, it won some awards. I walked out of there with $1,000 on a short film I think I only spent four grand on. And this is the coolest part of it. I met Sergio Aragones, who like draws Gru, like classic Mad Magazine artist who I grew up worshiping. And I don't know if you read Drew. It's kind of like the Conan uh, cartoon. It's really funny. Uh, Sergio Aragones lives in Ojai. And he was being honored with an award. And because the film festival was so small, I could just walk up to him. 
it was great. So I had a blast at Pasadena Comic Con. Geekscape related. The $2 late fee guys uh, did some panels. I had a ton of fun. Saw some Geekscape friends. And I bought maybe a, a few too many old Avengers comics from the 70s. But they were $2 each. So I had to. And I love 70s Avengers comics. Because it's when the good stuff happened. That's all now turning into movies. Um, it was really what I needed. It was fun. It was a good day to be a nerd. All right. Geekscapists. I cannot wait to introduce you to Craig. Let's get this show started. I love you all. Thank you for choosing Geekscape to be your entertainment for the next, let's put 45 minutes on the clock, maybe an hour. Let's go. Hello, Geekscapists. Give me a moment. I discovered that my pen is out of ink, and this is one of my favorite pens. I'm just kidding. Don't give me a moment. I can wing it just like I did. Uh, But I'd written down some notes. I was going to write down some more notes. But the reason I don't want to get rid of this pen is check this pen out for you video viewers watching it on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, or maybe on LinkedIn. You're dropping some resumes. Uh, We're live on all those platforms. We're free all the time. So uh, if you're listening, I'm just going to describe this pen real quick. This pen's cool. It has a bubble balance on there. So I don't know if you want to like maybe uh, hang a portrait or something or a picture on your wall. There's got a bubble balance. It also has a ruler. So you can measure in inches and centimeters. And uh, I think it's got a couple of things. This is like a go-go gadget pen. And I hope I can just replace the ink in it with uh, something because I do not want to replace this pen. It's really cool. It has an eraser on it. I don't know if it erases ink. Let's see. I don't know. Whatever. Um, speaking of LA, <laughs> rest in peace, pen. Uh, speaking of LA Comic Con, like I did in the intro, uh, we had Joe Dante on $2 Late Fee, one of the Geekscape podcasts. And that interview, which I recorded, and I'm so glad I recorded it and didn't botch it. Uh, that interview is fantastic. Joe shares so many amazing stories from making gremlins to making uh the burbs and all those amazing 80s films and then on to the 90s and he's got some great gremlins two stories it's available now on the two hour late fee feed so get on over to the two hour late fee feed after well hold up after you listen to this show and download the joe dante episode it's an hour of fantastic stories uh from joe dante making his movies and you know his career so uh that was cool and i had to uh tell you about it all right now it's time to tell you about my good friend, Craig. Craig makes comics. You can go visit him over at monkeygong.com if you're maybe sitting with one ear listening to this podcast at your desk while ignoring your work. Go ahead and throw up a tab. You're already slacking off. Throw up a tag and tab uh, on your computer and go to monkeygong.com and check out some of Craig's work. While I talk to Craig, Craig, come on in here. Say hello to all the procrastinators and people who should be doing their work, but they're <laughs> listening to you on this game. 
We'll call them last minute workers. Hello, last minute workers. <laughs> I am one of you. I can completely relate. Are um, you really correct? The pressure's on. I mean, I see this yeah, monkey. Go, I mean, I see this monkeygong.com and I love indie comics. I'm kind of flirting right now with the idea of getting back into indie comics. I met some people yesterday at the Pasadena convention about maybe uh, doing lettering or inking and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, how would I put this project together? But you do it all the time. And Geekscapist, the website is monkey gong, like bang a gong, uh, dot com. And talk to me because you're very prolific for somebody who is a, what was it, like last minute employee? What did you call him? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, the nice way of saying a procrastinator. I mean, you know, look, we've all had our moments with deep procrastination, and then there's subtle, lighter procrastination. And like, I, I'm in the last four days of a deadline on something that I'm not self-publishing right this second. So I, I can definitely, you know, wear that patch proudly on my shoulder that I am sometimes a bit of a procrastinator. But it's only because I am hustling all this other stuff and doing my own self-publishing. And on that, I guess I'm I'm getting a lot more diligent than I have been in the past. And Craig, you draw ink do you ink as well but you definitely write and draw your comics you ink as well you're like a mm -hmm. one one person shop do you do the lettering on your books i do Jesus. i could probably be better at it and <laughs> i could probably hire somebody <laughs> to do it but, but i do it i know how to do it well so, craig where did you come yeah. from like where did you grow up because you and i we were trying to figure out before the show how we know each other i know that you had a story in one of chris mancini's publications and our good buddy fernando pinto he did the Geekscape mm -hmm. logo. He did the Geek Drum logo before oh, that. Right. Like this is Fernando and Fernando's that. work. And Fernando did work for Chris Mancini. And yeah. I look up and I'm reading your bio and I see one of Chris's books there. Is that how he met? We're trying to figure out how we met Geekscape. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I don't. I, I honestly cannot. Like I'm wondering if it had something to do with one of the pod fests. Did you go to one of those when Chris put those on with Graham? I did. Um, I hosted a podcast at one of those, but I'm not Could sure. Could that have been it? Maybe that was where we actually met in person and, and maybe Chris was like, hey, you guys are both geeks. Like you should, you know. <laughs> if you're going you to connect. podcast, um, if you're going to play a thing called Podfest, he could have said that about anybody in the room. <laughs> maybe there there is like the you know the super cool comedy set that also attends that event, but or mm. attended. Yeah, hey, you know listen. I mean. You know, the, you know what I mean. There's Being a, a comedy yeah. snob doesn't make you cool. All right. No, no, uh, <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. They know I do. I do. Um, I do. And uh, <laughs> who's turning their noses up now? There are podcasts are exactly. all done. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. I was on the last comedy <laughs> film nerds podcast. We did. It was live at the I think the Dynasty Typewriter. You they, were. Yeah, Chris oh, had me yeah. over in Graham. Elwood and I was actually on that show. We were on stage. Heidi played a little song. It was amazing. She had a little ukulele and I sang a song. Geekscapist, I was going to tell you to go find that episode, but remember, I sing a song. Uh, that's the final comedy <laughs> film nerds. You probably don't want to listen to it, but it's the reason. It it's so the reason fun. to wait till the end of this episode at least to check it out. Just to, <laughs> no, it's not a deterrent. It's just a y'all yeah. are going to go um, listen to our late fee and go listen to Joe Dante tell amazing stories. Uh, well, Craig, 100%. knowing but after that. Knowing that, I think, I think you, knowing how long, like not knowing how long I've known you, uh, it was a couple months ago that you said, "Hey, I've got this uh, Zoop, um, you know, crowdfund campaign going for what it is, Geekscape. It's, it's a collection of uh, Craig's books, well, stories for the most part, but he's calling it Odds and Ends. He's done two books of it, and he's doing a, uh, a crowdfund using Zoop, and we've talked about 
with two creators who use Zoop uh, over at zoop.gg. Um, and what he's doing is he's raising money to get you copies of Odds and Ends. And this Odds and Ends book, this isn't like your full stories. These are what they what you say they are, Odds and Ends short stories. What is this book? Mm-hmm. These two books. Um yeah, I mean, there is one full-length comic book in it. It's a time travel comic, and that's something that I am not going to be drawing the actual graphic novel right away for multiple reasons, not important. Uh, other projects definitely play into that. But, uh, hey, let me go down a tangent you guys don't need to hear. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't, you know, that's the host I, I, job. Yeah, exactly. It's I still have I still have it in my blood. It's, you know, you do a few yeah. podcasts and suddenly you're screwed on the tangent front. Um <laughs> The uh, the thing is that I, I ended up with a lot of, they're not leftovers, they're things that I think were fairly successful in their time. Some things I did for art school, some things I did as TV show or, or movie pitch comics. Um, and I just sort of ended up with that plus some personal work, some, some early experiments in web comics and things like that. Single pages that I did literally just to make myself laugh or at a cartoonist conspiracy meeting, which I used to uh, be involved with the San Francisco cartoonist conspiracy. It was a great bi-monthly jam group where cartoonists just came to a coffee shop, took it over for the whole evening. And we came up with a project on the spot. It's kind of like improv comics. And yeah. you just sit down, you draw a page, you draw the first panel on a page, hand that panel or that page off to the next person. They draw the next panel or everybody draws their own page. So you end up with a book and it's all based on the same concept, you know, or theme. Uh, or just line of dialogue sometimes, you know, like this line of dialogue has to be on the page, go to town. Um, and or like so a, like I, a, I just ended it? up with 48 hour film fe- like contest, like that kind of thing. It sounds like. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I mean, we, we even, you know, like we even did a 24 hour comic with a bunch of us involved that was partially, t- that partially took place in my apartment, which my neighbors really loved. Oh, so much. <laughs> um, the, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I just ended up, you know, like I, I moved on for one reason or another and, you know, started to focus on bigger projects, did some paid work, whatever. So I just had stuff that, you know, would get pushed to the side. It wasn't invalid or anything like that. It just was a, the stuff that was gathering dust and I thought was good stuff. Like it, uh, in every case, it delivers the story that I was trying to deliver, whether it's four pages, one page, or even 15 pages. And, uh, you know, now, I have such an array that I have 200 pages of these different stories and each of them represents a story like each page, you know, if it's a single page, it has enough atmosphere and story happening that I kind of feel confident putting it into a mixed anthology. And, you know, when I got to the point that I've been working at in the last year or so, where my brand is very clear to me more than it ever has been. And I'm, I'm feeling pretty successful with the work I'm doing. And I kind of have a vision that I'm pursuing and enjoying a lot. I looked back at this stuff and I was like, you know, it was always there. Like the brand was always there. You know, it's like, you kind of don't know your voice until you have used it a lot. And then you look back and you're like, I, I guess I did know my voice. I just didn't like intellectualize my voice as an artist at the time. Like I was still so experimental and still learning and, you know, stretching. I mean, a lot of times I would switch gears just because I needed to stretch and learn to draw stuff I'd never drawn before. Right. So ultimately that just ended up with a, a nice collection of different stories. And, you know, it's now it's kind of an exciting visual collection and I'm, I'm, you know, this is in the Zoop campaign, so I don't want to repeat too much of it, but I'm I'm actually taking the oldest stuff and a couple of things that were in, still in pencil, luckily, and I'm absolutely upgrading the art. So I'm going in with whiteout, I'm going in with new ink. I'm not redrawing anything because I'm trying to keep the spirit of each thing without changing it, but, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to be like, that's a terrible hand that needs to go. <laughs> i got to put a new hand in there, you know, that kind of thing. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, it's going to be pretty cool because I'm really buttering it up so that it's a, an awesome two volume, 200 page set. And you know, that that all has like a, a chronological arc to it, a little bit of a, a narrative in, at least in like similar motifs and genres and things like that. So yeah, I think it's exciting. And Geekscape is again, if you go over to monkeygong.com, you can, uh, there's a link to the Zoop campaign. Uh, I'm just going to glance at it real quick. I won't bring it up on the screen. Geekscape is listening, but you've got 17 <laughs> days as of the Monday that we're recording this one. Uh, you're raising 6,000. You're above it, but I'm guessing at this point we're talking about incentives. We're just selling issues of the book. And Geekscape is to get a PDF version of the book is just 20 bucks, and that'll be a digital PDF version of the book if you actually want to hold it which I love. I like, I got to hold my comics. I got to have the tactile feel and you know, I love, I just love, I love laying in bed at night and not having a screen, just having comics. Uh, a $50 will get you the physical book. Um, and for a 200 page book, um, these are two soft cover books, hundred pages each. Uh, and they're chock full of some really cool, interesting artwork and stories. Um, then you are in business. So, 50 and you get to go to bed and, and like read it and sometimes Heidi <laughs> sometimes I wake up at like 4 a.m and I'll just mutter to Heidi be like can I read because <laughs> yeah I mean the most profound sleep you're gonna get is that sleep like right before your alarm come, goes off and I know that if I read a little bit I'll get sleepy again and then the alarm will go off and I'll have to like you know come out of a coma but uh i like i like to read at like 3 4 a.m in bed uh just grab a comic off the bedside table and read because my brain's it's 3 or 4 a.m my brain doesn't work i can read comics though um craig where are you from dude um you know i'm a northern california kid you know so i grew up si in sacramento and uh yeah. san francisco so and so you gravitated to san francisco in that kind of art scene would you say the art that the art scene there is it like an alternative art scene magazine zine kind of scene and that kind of influenced your sci-fi artwork like why not do some superhero stuff or some of the traditional stuff that you sometimes see in artist alley right where people are doing commissions on really popular characters like batman and superman they're doing commissions on comic book characters uh superheroes for the most part um that stuff appeal to you what led you to sci-fi i've just asked five questions in one it's all right <laughs> superheroes did not unlock my creativity the way that sci-fi did you know that's a that's a simple way to kind of you know blanket answer that thought that you went through just now that we all watched you go through um no <laughs> painfully <laughs> but, uh... listened to <laughs> he's losing his mind uh-huh I think everybody who listens to podcasts understands how those things get built. It's like an essay <laughs> question, you know? I'm listening it's to somebody cool. not being able sense. to speak English. And, and <laughs> how much of, of an influence was... Because uh, I think of Sacramento, and I've spent time in Sacramento. I think it's very similar to Austin, where I grew up. And it has that alternative scene. It's got a rock and roll scene. It's obviously got the college and the capital. So it's got a kind of a uh, vibrant political scene coming out of the colleges in being right there uh it feels kind of like austin and then you've got san francisco which we all know how like san francisco is it's got crazy ideas and lots of progressive and you know all that how influential were those scenes to you as an artist or just as a person storyteller huge you know i mean i think uh, scenes in general i think have been a huge influence on me like whether it was the rave scene or the underground comic scene or you know the the indie artist scene that i guess i'm in now because i'm not 
working for major companies, even if I am working professionally for some publishers, it's not, it's not DC or Marvel or even image at this point. Um, and I, I think that there's always kind of an embedded culture in those individual scenes, you know, and like that underground mentality. I mean, underground music is such a vibrant scene and it's such a better show usually than going to some mass marketed giant artist at a giant venue, right? Like the Elton John tour that just went around, I saw that at a way too big of a venue and it was terrible. Like the sound was so awful that I couldn't even enjoy it. Obviously <laughs> the, the performance was good, but I could not tell you based on what I heard. You know what I mean? So I think that uh, all the experiences that I've had, whether it be in front of a DJ or, you know, at a, at a coffee shop, you know, a comics art show or, or, you know, a zine fest or the alternative press expo, like smaller level stuff. Those, those are usually the most vibrant and creativity packed experiences that I've ever had, you know? So I, I think I flock to that and, and, Sacramento definitely when I lived there was was you know it had an element of that but I did not feel that it is what it has become which now it seems very vibrant I, I really like the cultural energy that I'm getting from it I still have a lot of friends who live there who are artists there and um, you know they're they're thriving because it's you know it's really boomed the downtown area has been really developed since I left you know I left there in 2004 so it's been a long time and you know subsequently went to San Francisco and that's like a merger of of you know the indie scene and then you know like the best design in the world and you have like a huge asian influence and you know there's a big corporate influence there which it doesn't it doesn't always register when you think of it but then once you live there you're like oh yeah this is like a big business town so you know there's 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 the shiny side of it and then there's the the crunchy side of it you know what i mean and, and like both of those had def their definite effect and and i think like san francisco pushed me further away from superheroes because it's it's an intellectually challenging place and an, uh, it's a, like a can opener for your consciousness you know to be around all these different ideas and all these different types of people whether it's like a guy who is shooting heroin on the street and singing opportunes who's a real a real homeless guy in my neighborhood an unhoused guy you know um that everybody makes friends with though right he's like an entrenched part of the neighborhood so he's actually not looked down upon Everybody does their best to help them and not make it a bad situation. It's a good situation. There's everything from that to like former mayor Willie Brown being the guy I have to serve wine to at my bartending job and get treated like shit by him because of you know his position, right? So so you get you get every end of the spectrum there, and there's the best food and wine and art shows, and you know all the best acts come through as far as comedy or you know musical performances and things like that. So you, you just like there's so much to dump into your brain there. But you had to compete, you know, because you're an indie comics creator and people have limited budgets or if they're going to be putting their money towards indie comics. And it takes a it's not like the Marvel and DC, which are made these they're, they're made by these giant conglomerates and giant giant companies that can promote and this and that. You really have to carve out as an indie comic creator. You have to really carve out your niche. You have to carve out your audience and you're competing against other indie comic creators because uh, they're not just your collaborators or not just like your peer group, but you're trying to sell your book over theirs or in addition to theirs, who was that crowd? And like, how did you cut your teeth is really the story I'd love to hear is who was influential on you and, and who showed you the ropes in this? 
Well, I always, uh, you know, not to repeat anything I've said on other sure. shows, but Larry Young was a big, a big person. The guy, he, he wrote AIT, Astronauts in Trouble, and he, mm -hmm. he runs the company AIT Planet Lar and is a fixture at Comic-Con every year in San Diego and, and is sort of known for having some wisdom about self-publishing because he went from just, you know, having an advertising job to having a great, you know, self-started small press, which was technically self-publishing, you know, and wrote, wrote a great series of articles uh, on his blog or the comics experience blog. I can't remember where, where this originated, but it became a book called true facts. And that book was hugely influential. And I still read it. I've read it like 10 times and, and have forced other people to read it <laughs> because it, it's just the quintessential thing of like, no comics are a product. I realize it's precious to you, but actually comics are a product like anything else. And the, and the, the comics marketplace is a, a literature or retail marketplace like any other treated as such, you know, treat, treat the commodity as a commodity because that's what that is once it's printed on paper, whether you love your idea and are in a passionate relationship with it or not, it's sort of irrelevant to the business side of it. Like, let's talk about the business side. And it's a really simple, you know, like I said, it's just 22, 23 blog posts that are stitched into a book. So it's just this, you know, pencil thin book. But I mean, it was like the manual along with like Comics and Sequential Art by Will Eisner and Understanding Comics yeah. by Scott McCloud. Like those were huge. I, I did a lot of stuff honestly based on the inspiration of going to conventions and being you know a teenager in the image boom when image was created and seeing that they these artists split off from this quote-unquote big paycheck which ultimately has a myth that's been kind of dispelled like they weren't making a ton of money at marvel it's one of the reasons they walked you know and i i think i was inspired in ways that i didn't fully understand until this phase of my life to be honest with you by the entrepreneurial side of all that stuff um but when i moved to san francisco I was fortunate to just kind of stumble into this scene where Larry Young was part of the group. Um, and I guess this is probably because I went to an alternative press expo with the first book that I ever self-published called Moth Spy. And I took it with me to, to Ape and handed out a bunch of copies. And I made some great connections that are friends to this day, people you know that I actually have collaborated with. And, uh, you know, it just it was a very warm embracing environment and when i decided to move there um like within six months of publishing that book in 2004 um primarily to go to art school um i stumbled into the isotope comics lounge wow. crew which was you know it's still to this day pretty <laughs> a pretty great crew to be in like james who runs that store is one of the ultimate comic fans I've ever met in my entire life. And it's also such a punk rock fan experience that has, you know, after hours events and serves cocktails and really caters to the community and culture side of comics, less than the continuity of comics, which to me is another thing that pushed me away from superheroes. Is like, I don't care about the continuity as much as I love some story arcs. They're awesome, but I hated being chained to the continuity, especially when the story arc got stupid. You know, in between the, the two or three great story arcs in a year, there were always the filler story arcs. <laughs> wait, wait, or two or three? You know? There might be okay, one every two or three years. Yeah. I mean, I still okay. read weekly, yeah. monthly comics. I still do. And uh, I don't I'm know. For that, I mean, I, I, make these, <laughs> I make these TikTok videos where I talk about what I'm buying and I really only say a couple blurbs about the ones that I know what's going on because sometimes they just go in one ear, out the other. Um, but I still love comics. And talking about the image boom, the one podcast that's kind of pop culture comics related that I listen to every week is Rob Liefeld's. Rob is somebody I met when I was, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, Rob Liefeld, my first job was in a comic store in, in high school. And 
that was during the image boom. I mean, I, I started working in, in 94, I guess, 95. And that's when the image explosion was really happening. And uh, those guys were rock stars. And Rob Liefeld was on a Levi's commercial and all that stuff. And Rob's podcast, and I've asked Rob to be on the podcast, but uh, I've only really had him on panels uh, as a moderated uh, conversation with him. And honestly, Rob was one of the first people to congratulate uh, me after uh, Heidi and I's proposal. I saw Rob and his wife backstage and he's like, oh man, it's so great. He's always enthused. He's the most excited guy. And I'll tell you, think what you will about Rob Liefeld as a creator. No one loves comics more than Rob Liefeld. Like nobody has a passion for comics like Rob Liefeld, like just a pure passion. And I love his podcast because he talks about them so passionately and relentlessly and he keeps receipts. He'll pull out old images, old, old wizard comics or old interviews, or he'll bring out sales charts and he'll show you what comics sold and what the image boom looked like and what, how they influenced Marvel or the heroes were born when they came, when he and Jim Lee came back to do some of the major Marvel characters there for a year, uh, right as Marvel was filing for bankruptcy in 1996, seven. Uh, and he'll show you the numbers of like what Captain America was doing before he was on the book ranked 97th or something like that overall. And then when he did the book and it suddenly ranked like fourth or sixth and that kind of thing. Um, and that's what I love about the, the, his show is that he's like, I don't care. I'm bringing out receipts. Uh, this is what really happened and stuff like that. And uh, it's been really fun to listen to. So geeks gave us after you listen to this, then you listen to Earl Afey. Then you listen to Rob Liefeld's <laughs> podcast. And Rob, come on the show whenever you can. He'll, he'll, I'll see him at a convention. I'll be like, hey, Rob, please come on, Geeks. It'll be fun. Um, but that's all superhero talk. I, that's that kind of stuff. And some of it does come no, down to I'm, gossip. And let me, you know, like, let me mea culpa a little bit. Because, like, I'm just I'm just very picky about what I read when it comes to You have limited comics, time. Especially, I think. Dude, no, no. You, time, you don't I, have I, to say I, that. You have limited time. And a lot of this stuff yeah. is absolutely not, like, memorable. And, and it's soap opera. And I'm not, and I want to be dismissive of too much of an art form. Because cause someone, some comic is somebody's, is somebody's favorite comic. Right? Like. Yeah, yeah. Like people are like, "Hey, Jonathan, what was one of your favorite comics as a kid?" And I'm going to say it's the Avengers Annual that dealt with Evolutionary War, and it's a cover of um, the High Evolutionary holding a globe in like, you know, Beast is hanging off of it, and Hercules is on the team, and I think Photon's on the team, and like, it's not probably a great issue, but as a kid, I loved it. <laughs> it's probably completely yeah. disposable, and I have a tattered version of. It. I still have my version of it, totally tattered. Um, but that was my favorite comic, and and to say that this stuff is too dismissible, you know, well, is too dismissible is not doing credit to it. But for the most part, as a middle aged dude looking back at this, yeah, you don't. Not all of them go over the fence, man. <laughs> no, no, and that's that's all I mean because right. there are things like the the you know Arthur Adams doing the X babies or whatever. There's things that I will never let go of because I oh, pry them out of my dead hands. So much fun when I'm dead, but. But like the, you know, it's just the overall, I, I cannot keep up with all that continuity, especially once I discovered European comics and retro sci-fi comics and all the Kickstarter stuff that's coming out now, or, or just indie books that I get from someone's table at a convention. 
you know, there's all these different markets for comics. There's like three main markets for comics now. You know, you got your shop, you got your cons, and you got your crowdfunding platforms. Mm -hmm. And like, never the twain shall meet sometimes. There's whole spectrums of comic books that never see the inside of a shop, but they sell, you know, however many copies they sell on a crowdfunding campaign. And if you happen to get one of those and you, and there's no editorial oversight per se, other than the creator themselves, it, you never know where it's going to go. And then like, once I discovered some of the amazing stuff that people can pump out unchecked when they're in their, their like zone of inspiration or whatever, you know, it was hard to go back to superheroes because there's a lot of repetition in superheroes. And yes. It's not that I By design. never read superheroes. It's just that, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to get me to, do it because I, you know, I don't read that many comics in general. I'm usually just so busy drawing comics at this point that I don't read nearly as many as I want to anyway. I, so I find the same thing with filmmaking. I just don't see enough movies or watch enough TV. And then I'm constantly writing or I'm constantly filming or I'm constantly doing this filmmaking stuff. And I don't, I sometimes get like this complex and say, dude, are you seeing enough? Like the Oscars get announced and I'm like, I haven't watched a like a right? fourth of these, a fourth of these movies. Do I need? Like, well, I've I, seen two, two or three of those. Yeah. Like, do I need to? And then the other morning, I just sat down and I watched all of Once Upon a Time in the West, and I was like, No, I don't need to see any of those movies because this is one of the greatest films ever made, and it reminds you of all of the things that are important in this in this form, in this art form, and it's a pretty damn good barometer, man. Stick to this stuff. So again, we're talking about stuff where, but it, the the cream rises to the cr to the top. But some of it, even the stuff that you may not love, is somebody's favorite. Um, yeah. Jack Knife is on YouTube, and he says, "When I bought X Force number one, I dreamt of what it would be like, uh, be worth. I'm sorry, what it would it be worth financially in 30 years? That happened in 2021. It was 30 years mm -hmm. old. I don't care if it did, if it didn't go up in value. I still love those memories, and I think those memories." Jackknife are the most valuable part of it, right? Like, how many people have yeah. that spawn number one? You know what I mean? Like, there we go. Um, Jackknife also says, I'm I mean, sorry. Say, sorry, honey, sorry. I can't watch movies right now. I'm too busy writing incel bot dialogue. Oh, God, I'd love that. I would love to bring... I mean... Been there. Don't say incel bot's name three times. He'll come. He'll show up and ruin the show. That'd be fun, though. Right over my shoulder. So, so Craig, yeah. the, the, I'm looking at your artwork, and I think when you talk about European influences, obviously as like a complete pedestrian myself, um, you got to talk about Mobius. You got to talk about some of these creators who appear to be influences on you. Um, talk about if the Geekscapers are listening to this and they're like, Hey, I want to check out Craig's work, but I also want to check out his influences because Geekscapers, you got to go to monkeygong.com to see Craig's work. But if you want to see some of the things that influenced him uh where would you send them like who are some of the creators that you said this really educated the way i i draw or the way i, I look at, at the stories i mean certainly mobius i i have to just absolutely claim that in the last 10 years or so he, he has had the biggest influence on me but I also, you know, have always been a huge fan of Barry Windsor Smith and Paul Pope. Like those are two, two very different artists, really, if you look at their work, but at their core, they're very serious, rigorous artists, you know, and uh, Barry Windsor Smith has that very classical edge, which I think I, I aspire to, whether I like it or not, honestly. Um, <laughs> sometimes I wish I was cartoony and had just more fun drawing my stuff when I see a lot of the stuff my friends draw. That's really but I kinetic, see the Paul you know? Pope stuff in here as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So Paul Pope taught me how to ink because he's just absolutely fearless with ink. 
you know, and, and I'm definitely, I would not describe myself as fearless with ink. I'm, you know, because I'm looking for something kind of tight. I, I, you know, it, it can be a very high pressure situation sometimes unless I'm doing it a lot. And that's been part of the productivity for me lately is that I just forced myself last year to just start inking everything that I could possibly ink and stop sitting back on it. Cause you know, I'm never going to get through the fear of inking, you know, without, you know, I don't know if I can curse, but you, you know, go for I it, think but it up. But, yeah, but Craig, you know, this, when you talk about so. you're not yeah. you're not on like a tablet. You're this is real like if I fuck this up, I've just ruined my pencils. Is that correct? Not that extreme. That's how I used to think of it. And and you know, I have a great friendship with an artist named Mike Dubish who does amazing work as a book called Forbidden Futures, if you're interested. And to be frank, having somebody that talented as a friend that lived close by me and I could hang out with him a couple of days a week here in Phoenix for several years until he moved away not too long ago. Um, it was instrumental, I think, in, in really focusing in on how to do the thing and not get caught up in things like, um, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get these inks the way I want them and I'm going to fuck up the story or fuck up the pencils or right. whatever. Waste, or Mike and he, just waste your time and say, oh, well, I, I, I lost the plot. Sure. The thread got away from right. me. I got to refigure right, out right. what this tone has to be. So I would watch him with stacks of pages, burn through pages as far as his output, but then he'd also be ruthless in making sure that they would get where they needed to be. So he'd do paste ups, he'd do massive amounts of whiteout. And there, you know, I had portfolio critiques at conventions many times in the past where it's like, oh, an awful lot of white, like you'd be, you'd be kind of, you know, looked down upon for using too much whiteout. But it's like, who cares? Because if you look at like an artist edition, like an Al Williamson artist edition, there's fucking white out everywhere, you know, like they're, it's about trying to get the best possible version of that image on paper and the story at the same time. So that is what you need to focus on. Who cares how you get there? Like, and that's, you know, like I'll never talk down to somebody who's doing something digitally versus by, you know, hand traditionally like that. That's the thing that I think I, you know, have looked down on in the past when it was early, when it still looks super digital, but now people can achieve results that look like they just used an inkbrush on paper and it's, completely organic, you know, and it's its own thing because when it really comes down to it, it's about a, a person made this. It mm -hmm. doesn't really matter what tools they used to get there. It doesn't really matter what the process was, you know, unless it's AI art. That's, um, what, but, that's uh, what I was about to say. I was like, careful there, buddy. Because <laughs> two episodes yeah, yeah, yeah. ago, you heard me talking to Tom did, about know, like yeah. AI and, and ripping off your signatures and things like that. And I, I love that you brought up yeah. Al Williamson, especially as a sci-fi fan, because I think Al Williamson Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he did the definitive uh, story that take for me takes place between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Do you remember these things? Mm. These newspaper strips. Am I talking about the writer Al Williamson here? Yeah, me, that's, that's Al. Like, um, I, like he did the newspaper strips that were the bridge between. And, and Dark Horse republished them back in the early yeah. '90s. You may still be able to find Star them. Star Wars classics. The yeah. Star Wars classics, and they were reprints of the al williamson stories that took place after a new hope it wasn't called new hope at the time it was still called star wars and before empire strikes back and you find in its bounty hunters coming after after han solo and han solo sticking to the same guns that he has at the beginning of empire where he's like hey this is all cool running around the galaxy with y'all but i gotta go pay off this job of the hut and yeah. he's sending bounty hunters after him meanwhile leia and luke are looking for a place to put a a new base for the rebels and the rebels are kind of like destitute. They're out and like, they're trying to just planet hop while they find a, a base. And the storyline 
starts to end when they find Hoth and they establish the rebel base on Hoth, which is where Empire Strikes Back is. As a story taking place between New Hope and Empire, I think it's awesome. And and Al Williamson gives it the right kind of Flash Gordon 50s feel that I thought was the main influence for George Lucas when he made you know, Star Wars, it, fe- it just feels great. I don't know. I mean, some of this newer stuff, no offense, Marvel, no offense, even Dark Horse, some of this extended universe stuff, some of that stuff just doesn't feel that same. You got to have a little bit of Buck Rogers, a little bit of 70s style in your Star Wars still. It can't get too glossy. Yeah. Um, and you were talking about why, why and Andor worked a little bit better. Yeah. Because I think that the creator is a little bit older. He's like in our age, in our age bracket. Mm-hmm. So he's familiar with all those retro influences and he knew how to do the lived in sci-fi thing while still making it feel like retro science fiction. From those Earth, first obviously. three episodes. Uh, far, far away. Though I think those first three episodes of Andor are incredible. And obviously the first, uh, I mean, uh, some of those episodes of Mandalorian, you're just like, this is it. They got it. They got the used universe. They got it. They, they know what the tone is. Um, but when I saw Andor in those opening scenes, walk in to, I, it's like a super future strip club looking for his sister who he hadn't seen since they were kids. And he's, and you, he's got a goal right off the bat. You know who this character is. He's got a goal. He's trying to find this, this, this family member. And you, in, in the, they weren't afraid of getting in, going into like a CD part of it right like let's remember han solo is a drug smuggler and he hangs out in uh mos eisley and it's where scumbags hang out and there was always that seedy part of star wars the underbelly the crime part of star wars and andor in the first scene went right at it and i was like okay yeah this is not Mm -hmm. only lived in this is nasty and this is this is cool and he yeah. straight up just puts those two guys down and that's the beginning of everything. And it's just like, okay, yeah. Okay. I know where I am right now in this story. Yeah. You know? And when I watched it through the second time, I watched it through right after it ended, watched it in a very short period of time. And it's so tight. The whole show feels like that, you know, where you're just, you're just in that original star Wars area, like of mm-hmm. fiction, you can feel it in every ounce of texture. And like, I don't know, it's just, is very satisfying when that ball gets hit over the fence, as you said earlier. Um, and and I do feel like there's a little bit of like what everybody feared uh, having Disney take over. I feel like a little bit of that is happening. You know, it is a little bit safe mm-hmm. sometimes. And, you know, it's, it's resulting in like the Boba Fett show being like, it just didn't feel like this character that we all knew, whether, you know, I understand the, the comments that uh, not Pablo Hidalgo, um, the other guy what's his name um well the mandalorian the mandalorian but, uh, kind of gave you the bubba fett show and i don't know what they could have done that the mandalorian was already doing because he was doing a lot of ruthless boba fett style stuff when you start mandalorian and yeah. and you can't kind of have them you can't have them both checking those boxes you got to shade the characters from each yeah. other in a sense um it it just wasn't maybe the stuff that we wanted but the point that i would make is when you look at Star Wars, there's there's a star like comic books, like we talk about comic books. There's a Star Wars for everybody. There's stuff for the kids. There's stuff for the older people like you and I. Um, and earlier you were talking about the revisionism that you're. Uh, I, your revisionism doesn't sound like a nice term. You're talking about the 
going back and being able to rework some of the things you weren't happy with the first time out in Geekscape is we're talking about this, uh, these two books, odds and ends one odds and ends two that you can find uh, up on Craig's uh, website that he's crowdfunding right now. And you can just, I'm not going to call it crowdfunding, order these books, <laughs> just go and order these books. Um, Craig is going back and he's finding earlier artwork. And in some instances he's going and correcting them. Lucas did do the same thing with the special editions, but, did you hear the story that I found out about the special editions and some of it was financially driven, right? His ex-wife edited that first star Wars movie that turned out to be a new hope. And she even won an Oscar for it. Right. Uh, he was paying royalties through Fox who published the movie. He had to pay his ex-wife royalties. Obviously he had a child with her and he had to pay like parental support, but George Lucas looks up right. And he's paying royalties on Star Wars, the most profitable movie of all time when it came out and continue to be top five, you know, tops all through the 90s. And he's paying royalties to her because she was the Academy Award winning editor on that first Star Wars film. Mm. But he found out that and we're going to have to check the legalese on this. But this is what I hear that <laughs> if he Allegedly. went if he went and recut the special edition and add and added he cut them into special edition he recut star wars as the 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 java stuff adds the cgi stuff adds some scenes that he's actually gone through a process of remediation with that content that he owns really and now it's because it, it was now a lucasfilm property in the special editions through lucasfilm huh. as distributor do not have to pay royalties which is why we will never get the original Star Wars cuts on Blu-ray or on streaming, because in doing so, he would have to pay royalties back out. And to avoid those royalties, supposedly, George, come on the show, talk to us about it. I heard everybody I know who's met you says you're amazing. But as a business decision to stop paying royalties, you recut the movie and negated those royalty Payments. I mean, that sounds as shrewd as many of the decisions <laughs> that he made with the original trilogy, to be honest. Um, you know, because there, there's the whole there's the whole thing with um, God, Gary uh, Kurtz. What's the producer? Gary, Gary Kurtz, who yeah. basically is like, yeah, the minute it became about toys, I was out. Yeah. And, and he, he, he is, you know, very he, adamant about that. Quit after Empire. Empire that, yeah. George made the decision somewhere during that movie and that he was like, oh, great. There's an argument and to be made. I mean, yeah. no, I mean, no offense, all of you who love the sequels and prequels and everything in between. And <laughs> we, we've obviously just lauded praise onto Andor and Mandalorian and that. And I'm excited. I see every Star Wars thing ever, like first day. But there's an argument to be made when my two favorite Star Wars movies are New Hope and Empire. And Gary Kurtz was a big part of the, both those movies. Um, he seems to have yeah. a, he seemed to have a, kind of a finger on the pulse some of that stuff uh who knows but i will say this that sometimes craig i know you love caravan there's courage. another i'm audience, not taking i'm not taking caravan know? of courage away from you okay <laughs> <laughs> yes right how did you no. know, how did you know I was there? <laughs> um, is it because is it i have the full the full-size poster behind me on the wall um no the, the tattoo uh, is what, no but, when I was a kid, though, Empire uh, Return of the Jedi totally grabbed my attention. Granted, I think it was the only one I saw in the theater as mm -hmm. a kid because I was too young when the second one came out, not born when the first one came out. So I think that maybe it could have just been that factor, but I loved that movie with all of my heart. And I guarantee you that it is at the core of my science fiction 
vision and interest being one of the first movies that ever really caught my attention. And, you know, uh, this has been said about the prequels. I've had this argument with my friend Mike, who I brought up a minute ago, uh, many times is that the prequels are for us. They're mm -hmm. for the generation that we were when the first, you know, movies hit us when we were really young in the And 80s. they can have them. And, and but they love them <laughs> yes they do but they love them yeah. and that's the whole thing is that like that those movies hit them exactly how george wanted them to hit and i think that in some ways maybe he had a little bit of foresight with the things like that he did for return of the jedi because it was originally wookies got turned into ewoks mm -hmm. and it got tamed down a little bit and, and the comedy was pumped up a little bit and and like maybe he was on something on a business level. I totally understand. I do think creatively that maybe he changed his mind about a certain direction that he was heading that we kind of prefer. Right. And that maybe Tony Gilroy prefers and that's mm -hmm. why he wrote Andor that way, but whatever. I mean, you know, this has obviously been spoken. This is, this is a corner of the internet itself. Is this <laughs> conversation, well, you know? They're like, why do so. I go to Geekscape for this? Yeah, can just, <laughs> I can read this blog. I can just go on Twitter. But you can't. The nerds can yell at each other. You can't be surprised. Mm -hmm. You can't be surprised if you're on a you know show called Geekscape and this is something that comes up. Oh, if so. anything, geeks, <laughs> I think y'all are happy with the conversation. Um, reward Craig for bringing the nerd to us and uh, go over to that uh, that monkeygong.com and find your way over to the Zoop. Uh, let me pull it up here on the site. Uh, Geekscape, so I'm just going to talk to you real quick. We talked briefly about the Zoop uh, fundraiser, or really this is almost, we had our friend Tom on the show and he had his comic sold through Zoop. And tell tell me about the Zoop thing and why not just do a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo? Like what's the story on Zoop and why, as a comic creator, why would you use Zoop over the other crowdfunding sites? Well, I mean, primarily it's comics only. So mm -hmm. that was one of the first things that attracted me to it. They've had a number of high-level creators put their books out through the platform. What are some and names, if you can seems, recall? Uh, Dan Panosian, Jay Gonzo, um, the the you know the Jean Paul Leon Wintermen with uh, written by um, Brett Lewis. Um, uh, Tony Harris just had a campaign wrap up. Nick Patara and Axe Wielding Axe Wielder John, uh, his his Barbarian book. Uh, recently funded through there in a very, very exciting campaign. And and watching the flexibility of Nick's campaign in particular, he kept adding stretch goals because he was doing really well. So he kept adding really interesting things that honestly, if I was if I had the heat on my campaign that he had on his, I would probably be trying one of the similar things that he did, which was like, he was doing so well that he said, okay, if I just get this much more funding on this stretch goal, I will bring this cartoonist I like or illustrator that I really like out of retirement to draw a backup story for my book. Yeah. Like That's just he cool. brought this Italian artist or whatever. Yeah. It was super cool. And watching that happen, I was like, I like this flexibility. I mean, maybe it'd be possible through Kickstarter, but I, you know, I have a feeling that the, the other element about Zoop that I like that I'm going to get to made this possible, which is the, the personal touch that Jordan and Eric, the uh, the owners and founders, have on everything, and the fact that they're kind of uh, entrenched part of the comic book community. Eric is from IDW originally, and Jordan, uh, I'm not sure if he actually worked in comics prior to this, but he has been a fixture at Comic-Con for the last 10 years easily. I've known him for at least that long. So, um, you know, and I forgive me, Jordan, for not knowing what your resume was prior to Zoop, but basically they, they were invested in this idea a long time before it, it launched and I think the pandemic helped them push it off the ground because crowdfunding took off during that. I mean, as did just sales of comics in general, um, you know, the pandemic was 
frankly, kind of good for comics in a way, which is a weird thing to say about anything that was good that came out of the sure. pandemic. But, um, but you know, once I saw other creators really enjoy their experience with Zoop and uh, looked at some of the the back end benefits and had this personal connection, um, you know, especially once Eric approached me at Comic Con and you know last summer, I just there was just something about it that made it easier to wrap my head around than doing a Kickstarter, which seemed like this faceless thing that I it all scares you know, me. Right. It all endlessly read a bunch of details and just get lost and not really, you know, like have the creative edge. It scared the hell out of me too, frankly. So um, I feel really fortunate the way the campaign's going. You know, I feel like my my audience and family and friends really stepped up uh, and surprised me. And, and like, I'm really, really excited to try and push it further as we have a couple of weeks left. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, I just think watching this become an addition to the comics community specifically, um, not that Kickstarter isn't, but Kickstarter right. isn't necessarily here, interested or invested in the community. This is the watering you know? hole. This is the watering hole where the comic fans come to drink. And knowing mm. that you're not going to have it diluted by someone doing a tabletop game or someone doing an indie film or something like that's that's all good. That's Kickstarter. But if you yeah. really want the concentrated eyeballs and attention of somebody who's here for the comics, and they want to come back to comics. Like this is appealing to me. Like I went through the pandemic and we were developing a cartoon, and I have all these scripts for it, and the, and I love these scripts. I love the characters. I have so much fun with them. A friend of mine just read them, and he's like, "What is going on with this? This is great." And I said it's a cartoon, man. Like I'm not a cartoonist. I, I was coming off the heat of some other stuff and it just didn't make it through the finish line. Like it's still mine. And a part of me is like, is this an indie comic? I talked to somebody yesterday on the floor of Pasadena comic-con who does full service. If you come to him with a comic book idea for X amount of money per page, he'll be able to put your comic book together. And they're pretty high quality comics and they went to print. I don't know how much of an online presence they have because they lack something like a campaign on Zoop or something like that, where you're engendering your your product fans. You're building this momentum mm -hmm. or this community that I think is really important. Otherwise, you have this printed book and you got to sell them one at a time rather than have a community collectively doing a little bit of word of mouth for you, especially with like a monthline campaign, whatever, however long these are. I think there's a strategy to this stuff and you still get the printed comic yeah. as you do in your rewards. Yeah. So I'm looking at the zoop thing. I'm taking notes, Craig, I'm taking notes. Maybe, maybe we, we bring those scripts out and turn them into comics. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I approve. Well, um, the, and, and we yeah, saw each other. At, you know, we didn't actually run into each other at LA comic con, but you were there. <laughs> Listen, if you see me at a con, I saw you. yeah, just come I up. Saw and grab, you. I had the eyeline. I had the eyeline. Uh, but well, the thing is, I, I had just gotten over COVID escapist, and I got, I no, just got fine. over COVID. Give me COVID. Yeah. Uh, I got well I, well, I got back to my computer, Geekscapist, or check my phone. And Craig's like, hey, I saw you on stage. And I'm like, dude, if I, oh, no, no, I want to come over to your booth. I want to find you. What a jerk I turned out to be. I would have loved to come no, and say hi in all, person. Dude. No, I mean, I'm so happy for you. I'm like, oh my God, who is he talking to? He's talking to LeVar Burger. And like, yeah. I just, I had this like line of sight from my booth, which was in literally across the entire con from where you were. That's why I didn't even like, oh, like, that's make so annoying. To you. Next you know, time, I'll, next time I'll wear see a the bag screen. on my head. Uh -huh. I could see you small, and then above you, I could see you on uh -huh. the screen with LeVar Burton, and nobody and I think wants I forget that. Who else you were on the main stage with? But basically, I was like, I was like, 
That's my friend. He's it talking is. to LeVar Burton right now. Look right there, you know. So I had a good time watching you have a good time and having a successful show. So that was enough for me. And frankly, I had just gotten over COVID. So I was a I was a wreck. Like okay. I was barely on my feet, you know. I was like, I'm going back to the hotel right at you know, 7 p.m. You guys, I'll see you in a little bit for dinner after I have quiet time. So well, well Craig, is hole. is like WonderCon something that might be in your future? Or maybe San Diego? San Diego for sure. WonderCon, <laughs> no, because I, I have not made any moves toward WonderCon. Sure, um, sure. It just hasn't really been a, that, that good of a show for me for some reason. Okay. I'm, I, you know, we don't exhibit I should be doing anymore. every show possible. No offense, Com- yeah, uh, I, Comic-Con or International. We clearly go to San Diego. But, <laughs> but WonderCon, we stopped exhibiting shortly after they left San Francisco. And it, yeah, was, it was weird. Yeah. Like we, we, I love WonderCon. It's a, it's a cool con. It's just within ear, you know, if it's like within a, a an hour or two drive home, I, it's like frustrating just going back and forth, back and forth. And it's like, do it, does it justify, mm-hmm. whatever it does it justify hotel? Does it not you sleep in your own bed? Who knows? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I, I have fun for a day at WonderCon. Maybe we'll be there with panels, but San Diego for sure. And then uh, our friend Mike does the conventions there in Tucson and in Phoenix. What is his name? He, Mike, I'm so sorry. His, his wife, Teresa is really hilarious. And um, he actually does, Brian Polito is his business partner on some of those cons there in, in Phoenix. Oh. Mike's been wanting me to come out and Which say Mike hi. I know. Is I know. Mike an artist? Mike makes vinyl kaiju figures. Geekscape is how into the nerd weeds are we now? Uh, I should introduce you because he and Brian, <laughs> he and Brian Polito yeah. run those uh, cons in Tucson and, and stuff. And he's always wanted me to come out and maybe moderate or something. Yeah. But uh, I'd love it. Those I'd are- love it. Pretty good show. I mean, Tucson was was a weird show. My dad passed away the first day of the con, so it was like being there just with a you know, yeah, this year. So I was just like frozen faced. I'm sure I wasn't that great of a you know salesperson, and uh, you know, that's back in Sacramento where your father Um, was. He was in Folsom outside of Sacramento. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah, I've been there. That's incredible. A long, long battle with Alzheimer's, and it was sort of a you know, uh, a, a relief for him, I'm sure in body, you know, and mm-hmm. hopefully in spirit. So well, damn. But it was weird energy to do a convention under. <laughs> so, uh, but, but I thought Tucson was a good little show, you know, it's, a nice, it's like you're saying about Pasadena, it's like a nice small town show, but it's actually really into the experience and everybody who was there was so happy to be there. And, you know, that's, that's the general energy I've been getting from conventions in the last year, you know? So, yeah, well, Geekscape is uh, don't to be evasive. About well, the dad thing, is, but yeah. don't skip this stuff. Don't skip the smaller cons. Don't skip yeah. the smaller film festivals. You filmmakers out there, and obviously, if you're a video game person, things like Indiecade and these independent, you know, uh, developer conventions and things like that, those are always there, and they get they give you a chance to go up to people like Craig or creators and meet them. And uh, maybe Craig was avoiding being at LA Comic Con, but we're not going to make the same mistake. At San Diego, I'm going to hunt you. I'm going to hunt you like Craven the Hunter. Um, I will find you. <laughs> I'm going to find you. <laughs> you know how he just wanted to like wear Spider Man's skin or something like that? You want to wear like the Spider Man suit? Like Craven wanted to become Spider Man? That's how I'm going to do it with uh, Craig. <laughs> Except you're going to be like, Craig's artwork just went to crap. That's what I'm wearing his skin. <laughs> uh, this got really creepy. Um, Craig, one last time, <laughs> I want to tell this the, the geeks yeah. this. Check out Monkey Gong. Dot com. Look for Craig on social media, and, and um, dude, Craig, you you kind of sent me a message like right after Ali Comic Con. I was like, hey, I've got this Zoop thing. I'd love to come on the show. Glad you had you. I'm glad I have you on, man. It's great talking comics. I love yeah, comics. Glad to be here. 
Thanks for thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, dude. Of course. Uh, good luck on the rest of the campaign, Geekscape. Is you know where to check it out. We've pimped it, monkeygong.com. As for Geekscape, well, I'm pretty sure we're going to be here next week. We've been here for 15, 16 years. Uh, I've got some cool guests coming up. We're going into some filmmaking coming up uh, as far as guests go. We're going to have some directors on, some actors, maybe some familiar faces. And uh, we all, if you, if you don't find what you're looking for here on Geekscape, we've got a whole network of shows, everything from music to retro to 80s stuff that was retro uh, to filmmaking. We've got anything to scratch your itch in the geek space because uh, it's Geekscape. You just search for us on any podcatcher and it's always free. So Geekscape, I love you. Uh, hang out with us over on Geekscape Forever on Facebook. Just search for Geekscape wherever you find us. That's where you belong because you're a part of this. Love you. Thank you so much for sharing this past hour with us, listeners and Craig. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot, Craig. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Great talking to you. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 